Welcome to the Pitbox Podcast. I'm John Satori. A bit late in the day to be talking about what happened two weeks ago at the Amelia Romana Grand Prix, but we're going to do it with... Um, sort of, if you're in the UK, you'll understand that the uh, easing of lockdown restrictions, it's uh, sort of opened up a lot of uh, things and it's just starting to get quite busy work-wise. So I'm flying solo tonight. Uh, we tried to um, find some time to get everybody in the same place or at least on the same line, but just not possible. Uh, so as I say, flying solo tonight. But we're going to look at the Portuguese Grand Prix, of course. It is round three. Some of the nuggets that came out of uh, the Imola weekend as well. Of course, there's been some big announcements. I also chat about... Uh, the McLaren we always like to focus in on what's happening with Daniel Ricciardo for our Australian listeners and also Lando Norris and plus um, that uh, that George Russell incident as well uh, all that coming up on the Pitbox podcast Yeah, so uh, we predicted a ball fest, and it was absolutely anything but the Emilia Romana Grand Prix at Imola and I'm happy to have been proved wrong it, it it was a cracking race, wasn't it? Um, a great win again. You know, Max Verstappen showing that he is the heir apparent to Lewis Hamilton. He got the win without the need of support from Sergio Perez as well. How often can we say that about a race winner over the past seven years? Um, uh, I mean, he got a little bit of help from Hamilton, obviously, when Hamilton spun into the gravel. Um, but, you know, talking of Lewis, and, and just to get onto that topic at the moment, uh, I mean, a, a great race again from him. But, boy, the timing of his good fortune. I mean, you know, you look, you make your own luck, as they said in The Hangover. When you're on a heater at, in Vegas, you don't leave leave the table, and he hasn't. And, you know, that's nothing to do with him. But to be in the gravel, a lap down needs to come in and get a, a new front wing. And what happens? Bottas and Russell come together. Out comes the, uh, the safety car, and away we go. Um, and, you know, he gets unlapped, so he's only got to actually make his way through the field. And, and, and he does, and he did it really well. And it was a great battle between himself and Lando Norris as well. We'll talk about that a little bit, uh, a little bit later on. But what I found interesting was that it was a mistake that Lewis made when a little bit of pressure was applied. And you know, it shows that he's not infallible. And I'm sure he'd be the first to admit that as well. I mean, he's a great driver, there's no doubt. But he's not infallible. And that little bit of pressure, which, again, the only time... He's had a serious amount of pressure applied was in 2016 for mine when Nico Rosberg uh, successfully did it. And also a little bit in 2018, but then, you know, Sebastian Vettel driving for Ferrari at at that time, you know, he actually himself showed that he couldn't handle the pressure and he made too many mistakes that season. We've been through all that uh, with what happened in Hockenheim and the clashes with Max in Japan and Lewis in in Italy that, that year. And and I think you can now see that Sebastian Vettel, if you put a bit of pressure on him, he's also very, very much fallible. Um, but I, I just found it interesting that, yeah, a little bit, you know, Lewis, there was no need for Lewis to make that move, was there, on um, on the Williams? And and that, that ended up in the, that, that put him into the gravel. There was no need for it. He's in a much faster car. He was just impatient. But as I say, is that just that little bit of pressure that Max Verstappen is applying? And that Hamilton isn't in the best car. Of course, boy, where do we go with this uh, this debate with regards to whether it's Hamilton or whether it's the car? I mean, obviously, it's a combination of both because they've won the past seven world championships uh, as far as constructors are concerned. And Lewis has won the majority of the drivers. But that car isn't the best one on the grid. And it's going to be interesting to see how and if Lewis can actually get this this year's world championship. I think if he does, it'll be his best since 2008, because I always thought 2008 was his best with McLaren. When he won that year, 
you know, the final race. I mean, it was dramatic as well, wasn't it? Because, you know, they say that Massa was the world's shortest ever, and I don't mean in stature, uh, world champion. He was world champion for, driver's champion for, tw- what, 20 seconds until Lewis got past Timo Glock on that uh, the second to last uh, corner and, you know, won the race down in Brazil and took the championship. But he hasn't, I don't think he's really had a good test apart from 2016 since then. And I think if Lewis can pull that off this year, wow, that will be one hell of an achievement. Um, And again, because it'll be in a car that I don't think at the moment is the best on the grid. And I think many people would agree with that. And that Max Verstappen is on his game and he's in the best car. So we'll have to wait and see. But, uh, you know, yeah, overall, great race. I mean, Lando Norris, he ended up third just running through what happened and uh, where everybody finished. Great result for Charles Leclerc as well for Ferrari. They got a, a fourth and fifth, so good points for them. It's a battle, really, isn't it? A battle royale in, uh, in third between McLaren and Ferrari this year. That is going to be really interesting, particularly when you've got Daniel Ricciardo just behind Carlos Sainz in the McLaren finishing sixth. Uh, Gasly, another good race for him, uh, finishing up in uh, in P7, Lance Stroll in the Aston. And considering where uh, Seb- uh, Sebastian Vettel finished, although, you know, circumstances, uh, Lance Stroll did really well, didn't he, finishing in P8. Esteban Ocon getting ahead of Fernando Alonso. Who would have thought that? Ocon looks to have changed something. Isn't it? He seems to be a bit more on it this year with Fernando Alonso next to him. But the caveat, of course, being that Alonso hasn't been in F1 for a couple of years. So we probably do need, in the same way we're giving time to Ricardo and Sainz to adjust to a new team. Alonso's got to not only adjust to a new team, but adjust back to Formula One as well. But that's uh, That was a great result for Ocon, a real, I think, boost for his confidence to get points, but also to beat his teammate. Checo Perez, disappointing for, sec- uh, for Checo, wasn't it? Made some mistakes in the race. He's in the best car. He's got no excuses now. He needs to needs to find something. He needs to make sure that he's there or thereabouts with Lewis and Max. I can understand that he's probably not going... I don't think he's as good a driver as either of those two, particularly Lewis, obviously, but also Max. But Perez needs to be third, and he's got to be ahead of Bottas, which, of course, you know he was, but that was because Bottas, in the end, had that clash with Russell, but he needs to be inside the top 10 every time. In fact, he needs to be inside the top four or five, if not third. Um, otherwise, well, he's going to find, uh, you know, his career at Red Bull is not going to be particularly long. But then again, the saviour is the fact that Yuki Sonoda <clears throat> made some mistakes. Of course, he's a, a cracking rookie. Everybody's been talking about him. Didn't have a great race weekend in Imola. He um, spun into the gravel too, didn't he? Through the chicane there. Uh, and and I suppose, it, and I'm not thinking that Red Bull would ditch Perez by the end of this season anyway, or at the end of the season, but there's no obvious replacement at the moment. So Perez was probably got a, a good two years uh, at Red Bull. And then after that, if Sonoda continues the progression that everybody thinks he will, then Perez might be in a little bit more of a difficult situation. But you just don't know who's going to be you know, winning races next year, car-wise, who's going to make the best car. So it's sort of all bets are off as far as where the best place to be as far as a seat is concerned in F1 in 2022. But yeah, Zanotta finished 12th. He had his spin, Kimi Raikkonen, uh, Giovinazzi Vettel, Mick Schumacher, and Nikita Mazepin. And of course, you know, the other big talking point was George Russell, Valtteri Bottas. You know, that clash. You know, good to see that Russell apologised for his reactions. You know, initially, my reaction when I heard what he'd said, I was like, a bit salty. You know, a bit precocious, and he's not. He doesn't seem to come across as that sort of guy. I mean, surely he's confident, but he's a quiet sort of guy. Not 
he's a different, massively different personality to Norris. I mean, Lando Norris is like jokey and fun and still very quick and still very committed and, and knows his, you know, knows how to get the best out of a car for his age, as does George Russell, but massively two different characters. And it just seemed to be way out of character for George Russell to say what he did. Um, and, and particularly when he went up to him and, and tapped him on the head after the incident, you know, and his radio outburst, you know, it just, it seemed to be a little bit entitled for mine. You know, and what did Toto say to him? Because they obviously backtracked pretty quickly. And, you know, Toto, I think, was absolutely correct. You know, is, was that the best place? Was it a bit ambitious to be trying to take on Bottas, you know, into Tamburello? Maybe. And, and particularly when you're a, a car that you know is slower and a, against a car that, or a, a team that you know you're probably going to be driving for pretty soon. I think it was just a little bit of a rush of a blood to the head. And he forgot he was he was driving a Williams and he wasn't driving a Mercedes. But as I, it was just disappointing to see the reaction afterwards, tapping him on, you know, tapping Bottas on the helmet, and you know, just it's like, hold on, mate, you know, you're only third year into F1, and you know, you're trying to overtake a front running team that you're hoping to be driving for. No, you know, it just pull your head in. And thankfully, he did. He's obviously realised his mistake. Someone's had a word in his ear, probably Toto, saying, "Are you kidding me?" Or words to that effect. I was about to say in German, but of course George Russell probably doesn't speak German. So uh, it would have been in English. But anyway, uh, you know, Russell will learn from that um, and, uh, you know, he'll he'll be better for it. But he's obviously heading in the direction of Mercedes, but that's just not the way you want to be impressing your boss. Um, Sergio Perez, ruining, he's surely ruining a wasted chances and he still needs to settle into that Red Bull um, he showed some good signs after a, a, a good qualifying for him, wasn't it? But it was that mistake after the restart, spinning on his own, really. It points to him really not still being au fait with how that Red Bull drives. And as I was saying, there's a lot of drivers who are yet to get to uh, proper grips with the cars that they have just jumped into, i.e. Ricardo, uh, Carlos Sainz, Sebastian Vettel, uh, the, the three most prominent, and of course, Fernando Alonso, although he's sort of having to get back to getting used to being back in an F1 car, let alone into a, a different F1 car. But, um, you know, so you've got to give him that little bit of extra time, I think, Sergio Perez, but Red Bull will be really wanting to get that support for Max Verstappen, not that Checo will particularly want to be taking that role, um, but should Mercedes you know, start to really pressure Max and, and have those situations where they need the support they need to have Perez, or, or if not, you know, Pierre Gasly, uh, they'll uh, look to anybody to be able to help Max and, and, and protect him in the same way that Mercedes have done, you know, uh, for numerous years recently uh, with Lewis Hamilton and uh, Valtteri Bottas. Not that it didn't happen much between um, Nick, uh, Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton, but uh, certainly between Bottas and uh, and Lewis Hamilton. But overall, it, as I say, a great race. It was not the yawn fest that we were thinking it was going to be. Fastest lap went to Lewis Hamilton. Of course, he still leads the uh, Drivers' Championship as well after that. Um, just by the one point, though, 44 points. Max Verstappen second on uh, 43. Lando Norris, what a great job he's doing for McLaren at the moment, getting a real steal on his teammate. Um, he's uh, nearly doubled the points, 27 points. Lando Norris in third. Daniel Ricciardo down in seventh on 14. And between them, fourth is Leclerc, fifth is Bottas, sixth is Sainz, then Daniel Ricciardo, then Perez, Lance Stroll, and Pierre Gasly um, rounding out that uh, top 10. But yeah, you know, it's um, a great Great battle, isn't it, at the moment between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen, um, and of course in the drivers' cha- uh, sorry in the constructors' championship, Mercedes just seven point leaders over Red Bull at the moment. McLaren not that far behind, 
But I think really it's going to be a race into third between themselves and Ferrari, who are sitting in fourth. There's, uh, what, uh, seven points difference between McLaren and Ferrari at the moment. Alfa Tauri looking to be the fifth quickest and, and, you know, on merit as well, fifth quickest team, aren't they? Um, Alfa Tauri, they're looking very, very good. Um, Aston Martin, I think they've got a few concerns about the rear end stability of that car, which is another topic that's been doing the rounds uh, in the last uh, week or so, and, and we'll get to that in a second with Otmar. Um, and also then you've got seventh and, uh, is, is Alpine down in uh, in seventh, just the three points and no points as yet for Alpha, Williams and uh, and Haas. And it's, it's going to be a long season for at least one, if not, two of those teams. I'm hoping one of them won't be Williams. They seem to have turned a little bit of a corner. Uh, and it was interesting, just had a quick read of an article where I think it was the F1, F1.com chatted to Paddy Lowe about his time at Williams and um, sort of, I mean, he sort of wasn't particularly forthcoming with a lot of information about it, but hence to say, in short, he was glad to get out of it. He said it's just it wasn't funded. It was going in the wrong direction. It didn't have the best team um, as far as people in the right places are concerned. But he thinks that's now probably been turned around. But either way, uh, let's hope that uh, Williams get themselves back up into uh, into maybe the bottom of the midfield. So the Portuguese Grand Prix was an absolute cracker last season. It was one of the great uh, surprises of the 2020 season, wasn't it? First time that F1 had uh, had been to the Algarve, uh, as far as uh, racing is concerned, in, in years, if not, well, certainly that circuit they haven't uh, haven't run at. But it is uh, round three, 66 laps uh, come uh, the race on Sunday. And uh, 15 corners, nine of them right, six left last season. It was, of course, Lewis Hamilton. In fact, it was a Mercedes 1-2. Uh, once again, Hamilton over Bottas. Max Verstappen was third. Good result for Charles Leclerc and Ferrari there last year as well, if you recall. Gasly also had a great result, ending up in fifth. Uh, Sainz was sixth. Perez, Esteban Ocon, Ricardo ninth. And Sebastian Vettel uh, was down in 10th in uh, the second McLaren. Lando Norris uh, finished up in uh, 13th. But, um, yeah, it was a, a great uh, a great race. One stopper, fastest lap was Lewis Hamilton. And, uh, yeah, it, it started off, remember, we had a, a sort of changing conditions. And at one point there, Carlos Sainz, who was getting a great grip out of those uh, those tyres, that first set of tyres that he had on, and uh, it started to lead the Grand Prix. It was amazing to see uh, a, a car, apart from a Red Bull, getting past uh, both of the Mercedes. Uh, of course, it was short-lived in the end once uh, the track started to dry out and, and Hamilton and, uh, and the like started to get better tyre temperature and could get their tyres warmed up at all. Uh, it came back to them and, and away they went and we had the, the normal sort of result. But overall, it really was. It was a, a great weekend, wasn't it? And expecting the same, um, you know, for Portugal this weekend. Uh, it should be another great race. It's a, You know, it was a real roller coaster. Uh, that was the sort of the word that best described uh, the Portuguese layout was a real roller coaster. Lots of undulations. There's some great uh, overtaking opportunities, and also the, the, as you come over, I think it's a turn eight, isn't it? As you come over the the crest, there you can't really see where you've got to go. The drivers are saying it's it, it's a, a real breath of fresh air to have that sort of layout where you get to the crest of the of a hill. You can't see where you've got to go. You've just got to trust that you're going to go left, and that the track will be underneath you as uh, as you make the the, the 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 steering wheel turn. So it's uh, dry, and it's always good to have a track that drivers love, and um, you know, and are authentically saying this is a great circuit without sort of oh yeah yeah no we love coming here it's a great track you know we love coming to wherever we are. 
and you can sort of tell that there's not a great lot of enthusiasm either for the location or the circuit. But certainly Portugal was a, a track that everybody was hoping uh, when we left there last year after the race that we'd be back at again this year. And, and, and thankfully we are. Unfortunately, it's at uh, the expense of a couple of other races, Australia and, and, and China, obviously uh, not on the calendar or Australia's been postponed through until November and China's been taken off. I don't think the... Look, the event, the Australian Grand Prix as an event, I think is fantastic. And all... And look, everybody and being an Australian, it's difficult sometimes whether you're getting uh, um, uh, you know, an honest response. But when I've sort of said, do you really, you know, to, to mechanics and engineers that I uh, I work with and talk to in the paddock when I'm there, uh, do you really like coming down to Australia, coming down to Melbourne? They do. They love that being the first race. There's something about Melbourne at that time of the year. And I'm sure it'll be the same in November. There's, there's just, I don't know, that smell in the air. There's something about the Australian Grand Prix. As far as the layout's concerned, it's certainly not going to be high on a, a driver's priority list if he was going to have them... You know, a circuit made for himself in his backyard, if that was possible at all. Um, but they have made some changes, haven't they? They've uh, made some adjustments to that uh, Albert Park layout. So hopefully later on this year, uh, that will be. Uh, we'll see exactly how that's going to go. But anyway, we, we see. We digress. Um, the reason we're we're talking about that is because obviously it's not on the calendar. And um, sorry, it's it's on the calendar later in the year. But the reason that um, the Portuguese Grand Prix is on the calendar is because those two races aren't uh, aren't on. And we've been to uh, Imola and now Portugal. And of course, while we're on the topic of of changing Grand Prix, uh, the Canadian Grand Prix, which is another one of those events. And it's a pretty decent circuit too. I think if I had to say, if I had to rate it like a, whether it was better than the Australian layout, I think currently, yes, I think drivers would probably prefer the the, uh, the Canadian Grand Prix layout um, track layout compared to Australia. But overall, the events are very similar, very well received. It's great going to Montreal. Really going to miss it uh, this year. It was sort of one that we were hoping um, we were going to be back at. Uh, certainly no one going back to Monaco, which is great. Can't wait to do a podcast live from there, which is coming up uh, in a few weeks. But uh, yeah, sad that Canada is not going to be on the uh, the uh, the calendar. And that has now been replaced by Turkey, which was another good race, wasn't it? It was another good circuit, particularly with these uh, modern F1 cars. I think we hadn't raced there since 2008, 2009. I can't remember now. Um, uh, Turkey, I'm talking about, and it was a real, uh, a real buzz around the paddock and around F1 circles when we were going back to Turkey with the cars that they uh, they currently have, and it was proven to be absolutely correct. It was a a, a cracking weekend. So uh, the. Tyres for this weekend, uh, they've gone for the hardest in the range. Uh, talking about Pirelli, of course, C1s will be the hards, the whites, the yellow mediums, the C2, and the red softs will be the C3. So, And we do know from what we saw last year um, that uh, you know it is a circuit that's reasonably um, difficult on tyres. Um, just sort of looking at what Pirelli have been sort of talking about, they, they rated, as far as traction is concerned, about a four out of five braking. And not that that's much to do with the tyres, but about four out of five. But lateral forces on the the tyres, which is you know where you're going to get a lot of the heat into them, um, is only about three. And of course, that can be difficult, particularly if it's cool. And from what I understand, talking to people down there, it's not particularly warm at the moment, or certainly wasn't uh, when I was speaking to them. So the tyre stress is actually quite uh, quite high. It's four out of five here. And again, 
the undulations, the up and down, the left to the right, the very fast sweeping left hander down to that. I think it's to turn five, and then of course the the final two or three corners as you're running, uh, getting that um, run back onto the main straight, which is an absolutely cracking last uh, two or three corners, isn't it? At uh, at Portimao. So that's where the tyre is going to get its uh, a lot of its pressure and stress from. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting one. Last year it was a one stop. I was sort of thinking it's going to be pretty much the same for this year, which not great. I'd rather have a couple of stops that mixes things up a bit. You just you know changes things around. Um, so uh, you know what we had last year, tyre wise. I mean, obviously this is the first time we've gone a step harder, isn't it? Um, in two thousand and uh, and 21 not that we've had that many races we've only had the two so this is a uh, is uh, is around three but we've had the c2 c3 and c4 um um at the previous two races so this is the the same tire nomination uh being the one two and three c one two and three that we had last season uh at portugal so no change there apart from the little uh tweaks that they made to the tire overall uh, across the whole range uh throughout the season um but, uh, you know, and, and don't forget, there was a, a specific tyre allocation uh, for the Portuguese Grand Prix. They had an extra set of hard tyres and one less set of the soft, you might remember, because they didn't have any data on it. You know, there was no data, there'd no, been no pre-running on the uh, the Portuguese circuit. So um, that's the reason why. they don't. That doesn't happen this season. Uh, and this weekend, uh, it, it reverts to the standard allocation, uh, which happens all season. So 13 sets of tyres and uh, they get stripped away. Uh, use it or use it. Use it or lose it policy, as I call it, uh, across uh, Friday and Saturday. But of course, there's only two one hour sessions on the Friday as well. Uh, and that's going to make it a little bit more hectic and a little bit more difficult for drivers and engineers to get their, their head around um, what they need to do. Because, I mean, yeah, at least they've got one set of data from last year. And as I say, the tyres are pretty much the same. Apart from that tweak that Pirelli made during the off-season, they are pretty much the same tyre. Uh, and, and obviously the same specification being the C1, 2 and 3. But we'll um, we'll wait and see. I, th- I think it's going to be a, another cracking race. Qualifying uh, last season, it was Hamilton. I mean, again, it was another front row lockout from uh, Mercedes. Hamilton ahead of Bottas. Uh, Verstappen was on the second row alongside Charles Leclerc. Perez had done really well. Uh, in what was the racing point at that time. Alexander Albon started alongside him. Sainz and Norris started on the uh, fourth row. As I was saying, you know, at one point there, uh, Sainz led the race. Uh, Gasly, Ricardo was down in 10th. So um, I don't think we're going to be seeing the uh, the racing points or Aston Martins uh, featuring as highly as uh, as what Sergio Perez did last year when he was driving for them. Um, but I'd certainly expect to see both Red Bulls inside the top four. And as I was saying a little earlier, you know, Sergio Press has really got to make sure he's he's inside that top four or five, uh, and not to affect any sort of protection or or help out for uh, for Max Verstappen if that's required. But for his own um, his own career, and you know, you know, he's a racer. He'll no doubt very much want to be there. So uh, yeah, it's 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 going to be a a weekend where once again it's a steep learning curve yeah they've got the data from last season but yeah things have changed a bit there's a lot less grip and uh, as I say that uh, that slight tweak to the tyres but you know the battles what are we looking forward to Verstappen and Max uh, Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton of course you know the battle resumes between those two and as I was saying earlier it's great to see Hamilton with some serious proper pressure from someone outside his team and I think that's going to, you know, 
I think that's going to motivate him to make sure that he, I mean, he's always pretty close to perfect anyway, but you know, what makes a, a, and and I don't want to get into this whole, you know, is he the greatest driver? Is he not the greatest driver? Who is the greatest driver? But what makes a great, truly great is to actually not make the mistakes when you have pressure applied. And for mine, I don't think he's ever had a lot of pressure applied um, in the, the seven years that Mercedes have won that Constructors' Championship. 2016, yep. And of course, you know, Rosberg ended up winning that one. But since then, I really don't see or haven't seen a lot of pressure applied. When some was applied in 2018 by Vettel and Ferrari, Hamilton handled it and threw it back in their face and and we know what happened. But I think Max Verstappen is made of different stuff compared to Sebastian Vettel, even though Vettel's got four drivers' championships. You can't take that away from him. But, you know, it's not going to go down that that rabbit hole uh, and discuss that. But... Max Verstappen, I think, is a different driver, um, and he's been under pressure to to take it to Hamilton and, and, and fighting with Bottas, and you know, I and okay, yeah, the argument there is well, he's only really fighting with Bottas, and Hamilton was off into the distance, but I think Verstappen is made of sterner stuff when you consider how old he is, and uh, that at the moment, you know, he really is seen by all and sundry, all the pundits, all the experts, as the the man who is most likely to beat Lewis Hamilton, and, and this year. Uh, in particular. Uh, the other battles that I'm looking forward to seeing is the intra-battle between uh, the, the McLaren drivers, uh, really wanting Daniel Ricciardo, obviously, as an Aussie. And I know that I've got um, uh, some Aussie listeners to the podcast that uh, they'll be really keen to see Daniel, you know, make a, a better fist out of that uh, that MCL 35M. Uh, because at the moment, Lando Norris, as the incumbent, if you like, he's on home territory and, and, and Daniel Ricciardo's got to sort of get himself a little bit more comfortable um, uh, in the cockpit of that car and learn how to make adjustments to his driving style to get the best performance out of the McLaren. But I think that'll come. It's just going to take a little bit of time. And then, you know, what what we all really want to see from Ricciardo is that, you know, the as everybody says, the last of the late breakers, his ability to overtake underbreaking absolutely brilliant but he's just not got that confidence and the thing is that you know what experience teaches you is that when you don't have that confidence in the car don't try and do it anyway don't try and you know impress and think yeah I'm still the sort of driver that you think I am and that you've you know that you've bought or you know that you've taken on board and then go and try and pull off a move that's not on even though that's your signature move or you know he's he's got more experience than that and I hope he <laughs> Hope he doesn't prove me wrong, um, but I I don't think he will. He's not going to try and do those sort of moves before time, before he feels comfortable in that cockpit. And he's really, you know, he he's really got to make sure that doesn't happen. You've got to keep your head, even if you feel like you're being bettered by your teammate. You've just got to take that in your stride and play the long game. And that's something that's very difficult when you've got so much going on, you're driving fast, you're on the circuit, and you, you know you look at what happened with George Russell, okay, he's a lot younger, but that rush of blood to the head can happen. But, you know, we saw that happen to Sebastian Vettel, didn't we, uh, in Baku when he clashed, um, uh, when he clashed tyres, sorry, my left, left my phone on, uh, clashed tyres with uh, Lewis Hamilton on the uh, restart back a, a few years ago now. So it can happen to a four-time world champion. But, um yeah, it's uh, it, it's going to be a great battle between those two drivers, uh, particularly, and uh, lots of uh, Australian fans really starting to to get in and, and get behind the McLaren team as well now that uh, Daniel Ricciardo's uh, over there. Um, and uh, other battles, well, first of all, Yuki Tsunoda didn't have the best of weekends in uh, in Imola. He'll be hoping that he can actually turn that around because 
that's looking like a really healthy driver uh, pairing, isn't it? I mean, Pierre Gasly's bringing the experience. He's only, what, three years in uh, into his F1 career, but he's now very much a senior driver. And, you know, we've been talking, and oh, wasn't it brilliant as well? Sorry, just uh, uh, dive, uh, sort of moving away from um, F1 for a moment. The brilliant uh, press release on Twitter that uh, Pierre Gasly, was Gasly responsible for it? Or was it Renault? I can't remember, but they announced that Gasly was coming across to Renault. It caught me out for a couple of seconds. I thought, you're kidding. No, he's coming across to Renault. I predicted that. I'm sure lots of other people made that same comment. Um, but uh, you can, I, can, I can certainly see him heading across to, uh, to Renault um, at some point in the future. He's, uh, and it's great to see him turn that around after what happened to him two years ago at Red Bull. Isn't he such a better driver um, for that uh, for that year opposite Max, um, you know he's uh, he's come on leaps and bounds, hasn't he? So it's a really good driver pairing down there. Of course, Ferrari that battle between themselves and McLaren is also going to be pretty juicy as well. Uh, Charles Leclerc at the moment, as we know, bettered and, and and as you'd expect as well. Again, being the incumbent in the Ferrari, but Carlos Sainz wasn't far behind him, was he? In that result, you know they were was it fifth and sixth, fourth and fifth. That's a good result, isn't it, for Carlos Sainz? Just two races into his Ferrari career, and he wasn't too far behind. I haven't uh, actually quite got on my uh, screen here what the the gap was between them. I don't think it was too far, was it? Leclerc was uh, two oh three, so there was only uh, well, the twenty seven seconds. Um, so, uh, uh, sorry, sorry, no, one point four seconds between the gap between them. So yeah, it was pretty small. I was thinking twenty seven seconds. That's larger than I thought it was. One point four seconds. It was twenty two seconds between Max and Hamilton at the uh, at the checkered flag, and just one point seven seconds back was Lando Norris in that great battle that we saw. Nearly two seconds back to it, Leclerc, and one and a half seconds back to Sainz. And then there was that big gap back to Daniel Ricciardo, and that that was twenty four seconds. So that was the that was the big gap um, that you know that Ricciardo will be obviously wanting to to close this weekend and and across the rest of the season. But that's a really good result for Carlos Sainz. Okay, we had a race reset as well, but, you know, uh, still at the end of the day, to be that close to your new teammate when you're just two races in, you know, he's done very well. But overall, they're probably, well, are they performing better as a team compared to McLaren? Hard to say. I think it's sort of, it's evens on that. You know, McLaren are just slightly ahead of them, aren't they? Um, in the uh, in the driver in the uh, constructors championship, there's there's not too much difference, um, you know, seven points. So at the moment, it's it's pretty pretty even between McLaren and Ferrari uh, as far as those uh, driver pairings are concerned. The other one I wanted to talk about was Aston Martin. Boy, they'll really be hoping that Sebastian Vettel can get his head around that car. It looks like Lance Stroll. I mean, you know, judging by the result that he had in Imola. That um, you know he he's starting to, uh, to to be able to wrangle it, I suppose, and wrestle it a bit better than what uh, than what Seb is. But of course, Seb's got the double disadvantage of not only it being a new team and a, and a car that's now got a sort of an ear, a rear end that doesn't have as much stability as what it had in the in the past. Um, you know, he's at that new team as well, so there's lots more, I suppose, for Seb to juggle. But you take on a four-time world champion, you don't expect them to uh, take too long. But for the moment, he's still got time on his side. I think it's still a bit too early to be get, getting too judgmental, if you like, on uh, Sebastian Vettel and, and, and whether or not um, it was the right move for him or Aston Martin. I think there's um, still plenty of time for him to, to prove himself. Uh, and of course, a little bit further down, it's the, as I was saying earlier, the battle between uh, the likes of Williams and, and Alfa Romeo and even Alpine. 
And Alpine, I think they were saying they've made a couple of changes in the aero department, uh, or sorry, on in the aero on the car, I should say, which will be interesting to see how that affects them this weekend and whether or not they can, uh, you know, see themselves more likely into a into a Q3 session than what they have been, and also the the better results. They got good points last weekend, of course, both drivers getting into the points. Alonso just behind uh, teammate Esteban Ocon, but. They'd be uh, hoping, considering where they were last season, and which was just off the coattails of Aston Martin or Racing Point as it was, uh, that they can be um, sort of mixing it with AlphaTauri and, and those teams are above it. But, um, you know, they've certainly got the resources to do it, haven't they? Alpine, of course, is the old Renault team and still got that funding. Uh, but, um, you know, we'll have to wait and see. So plenty of... Um, Good racing to come this weekend. Can't wait to see how it all pans out. Of course, you know, some of the other big news stories that have been happening, I, just, I wanted to cover off those as well because there has been um, some big announcement, hasn't there? Um, and, and particularly with regards to this sprint race. Now, they're going to have three sprint races uh, in F1 this season. The first one is going to be uh, at the British Grand Prix. Uh, which at this stage is great news that I know that I'll be attending, which is fantastic. And I think I was saying earlier, I'm actually going to Monaco. Can't wait to get back to racing and doing a, a podcast from Monaco. From Monaco is going to be a little bit of a challenge. Uh, but anyway, I'm, I'll, I'll do my absolute best. Um, but uh, but yeah, this uh, this sprint race is going to be really, really interesting because, I mean, I can understand why F1 are doing it because Friday does tend to be a bit boring. Um, particularly if you're looking for sort of, you know, action. You know, the, the, the teams have got their plans laid out as to what they want to do on a Friday, and it's to gather data. It's boring, unfortunately, for fans, unless you're an absolute, you know, dyed-in-the-wool F1 fan or, or fan of an F1 team, then it's there's not much really to... And also, there's not much media, media can do to spin it in a more exciting con- context as well. And I think that's another reason why they're changing it is that we've now got three days of action and when it comes to value for money, um, that is going to be something that the fans will think, yeah, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, if you've got tickets for all three days or you've only got a ticket for the Friday, then you're getting something, there's something that you can actually get your teeth into, some competition rather than just watching them do go through their paces. And Because, you know, once... As, again, as I say, unless you're a dyed-in-the-wool F1 fan, which people who attend on Fridays tend to be, because there's nothing to really hold their attention. But having qualifying on a Friday, yeah, that's that's a way of you know making Fridays a lot more interesting. And of course, then that might, you know that uh, that short sprint race on the Saturday uh, to uh, to uh, to uh, formulate the grid for Sunday, will it take too much away from Sunday's event? That's uh, what the critics will be uh, watching very closely, and they'll be very quick to to judge if they think that that has happened. Um, I, I mean, I love qualifying on Saturday. It's a, in some ways it's a shame because I, you know, I mean, I was a fan of the old qualifying before we had the three tier session. I really love that, um, I, but I can understand for TV why they had to scrap that because you know you had teams going out with twenty minutes, fifteen minutes remaining in the session, so you had forty minutes of nothing for TV broadcasters, and they're like, you know, hold on nothing on track you know I know we've got great commentators and the likes of Martin Brundle and the like but 40 minutes to be talking about pretty much nothing is very very difficult so I can understand why they went to the three session qualifying format but even that I've now grown to love that 
and I'm going to miss that on a Saturday because I did find sometimes I sort of actually found Saturday when I was doing my bits at the circuit and 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 um the production and the the commentary that I was doing I found Saturday more exciting than uh, than even the Sunday um up until the race I mean Sunday was great but it was sort of a slow burn uh on a Sunday because there was nothing happening all the way up until you got to race, uh, you know, race time at one o'clock or two o'clock in the afternoon. Whereas Saturday you had, you know, your your third qualifying, your third practice session was almost like a qualifying for qualifying. You got an idea of what the, the order might be because everybody certainly in the last 10 or 15 minutes were putting on the, the fastest shoes they could and, and putting on light fuel loads. And you could then sort of get a, a bit of an idea of who's looking quick, who's authentic quickness from Friday times um, and that gave you an indication as to what might happen in qualifying and then you had qualifying so to me Saturday was always a, a real exciting day and, and as I say I just had a tendency to like it a bit more because there was more action right across the day whereas Sunday it wasn't that until you got to race day, race time, which was absolutely fantastic as well. But anyway, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that works out. There's obviously there's already um, you know people who are criticising it, not wanting it, think it's a bad idea. Those who think it's a great idea. So I'm probably in the boat of like, you know, why not? Let's let's give it a run. Three races rather than doing what they tried to do with qualifying what six or seven years ago uh, with the timer. I mean that was and they and they you know put that in as that what they were going to do qualifying for qualifying for the whole season. I mean, thankfully, it got canned after the Australian Grand Prix that year. I mean, we're we're all scratching our heads. I mean, I was trying to talk people through it, and at the time, it was an absolute nonsense. Thankfully, they're now the right people are in charge to say, look, we'll give it a run on these three weekends, and let's see what happens and uh, get the reaction to that. Go back, um, talk to everybody. No doubt they will, and see what everybody's thoughts are on that format and make that uh, decision about what we do with the weekend moving forward. But I think it is a good idea, particularly for those who've got, you know, who like to go to a, a Grand Prix weekend and, and make a, a whole sort of three-day show out of it to give them something a little bit more on the Friday. And also it gives the broadcasters, I think, something a little bit more. The downside is that qualifying is going to be on for a lot of people while we're at, ra- at work or at school or wherever, whatever it is that you do. Um, that's going to be the downside to that. But, um, you know, maybe... Uh, no, there might be some adjustments they can tweak somewhere along the line. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was some, probably the biggest news, apart from the fact that Turkey is going to be replacing the Canadian Grand Prix, which was a great idea. And of course, the other interesting uh, headline that I did see was that the uh, tickets for the US Grand Prix in October are now on sale. So really hopeful that we can get back to the US. I love my little uh, my little chilly place across the road from the hotel. I hope we're staying there again this year. Uh, the name escapes me. I've mentioned in a, in a previous podcast. I think it's just called Chili's. Um, but it's a fantastic classic old American bar, dark and dingy, but does cracking chilies and lovely cold beers as well. So looking forward to getting back to uh, the States. And of course, yeah, sorry, Miami was the other big announcement, wasn't it? We're going to be doing two races in the US. We all love going to the States. Uh, I think I don't think there's anybody I haven't met anybody who doesn't love in F1 going to America to race. Um, the hospitality is fantastic, the people are fantastic, and uh, the racing tends to be that way as well. Certainly, the circuit of the Americas has has been that, and it looks like a pretty decent old layout as well. I haven't got that in front of me um, because that happened a couple of weeks ago, uh, but that looked like a really good uh, race layout as well. But of course, uh, the proof is in the pudding. But that was sort of the big announcements, I suppose you could say, that have happened over the past two uh, two or so weeks. 
Another Pitbox podcast in the can. We'll be doing it again early next week. We'll review exactly uh, what happened at Portugal and also preview what's going to come up because it is a back-to-back weekend at the Spanish Grand Prix. So two weekends in a row that we've got racing. Great stuff. Then a week off and then back to Monaco, the jewel in the crown of the F1 season. I can't wait to get back there. If you follow me on Twitter, at Adori Media or at Pitbox Podcast, make sure you do if you don't because uh, you're going to be tweeting lots of photos uh, from the pit lane and, and lots of interesting exclusive stuff uh, from my vantage point, which is uh, right above the uh, the first corner. Uh, can't wait to get back there and do the podcast from there as well. Anyway, until then, hope you enjoyed it today and I look forward to your company next week.